0: Today's reading of God's Word will come from John 13, 31-35, and then chapter 17, 20-23. This can be found in the Pew Bible, page 901 and 903, and the following Jesus Bible, page 1,158, and then again 1,161. When he had gone out, Jesus said, "'Now is the Son of Man glorified.' You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: If you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go to children's worship, they can line up here at the door. Our volunteers and staff will take them over. If any of them are visiting for the first time, we need one parent to go to get them signed up with our volunteers. All right. What is life about? What's it all for? I mean, once a person has believed in Jesus and been forgiven of their sins, when their eternal state is taken care of, what's the point of life in the meantime? We started chewing on that question last week, and I argued passionately that this life is not about biding our time and waiting for heaven. It's not about simply being a decent person and being kind and doing your best. No, life is about loving God. It's about knowing him and being gripped with affection for his character. We talked about that. If you admire who God is and therefore trust him, if you trust what he says, you're going to live a very different kind of life. People may not call you a decent person, actually, but you live a very different life. You can call it obedience, but it's just as accurate to say that if you are gripped by God's character, you admire him and trust him, your life... It's going to look more and more and more like Jesus's life. The character of God that you so love will become increasingly more apparent and more visible in your own life as you love God and trust him. And that's where we ended last week. We said when we love God in this life, it makes our lives a showcase for the glorious character of God of god we talked about this in sunday school god has all glory in himself he does not gain glory from us rather our lives are a showcase for the glory that is already his we're learning our children's catechism in sunday school as well let's see if we learn those first three questions all right you ready who made you what else did god make yeah, we got the chant. We, we do have a chant. I'm, when we really get into it, I'll get Chris up here with the drum and we'll, your dad, and we'll, we'll, we'll do the chant. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. And the new question we started today is, how can you glorify God? By loving him and obeying his commands. So when we love God and therefore obey him, people see the glory, the character of God in us. It shows them God. And that not only brings God glory, it also invites others to want to know Him and love Him as well. That's what life is about. You exist for the glory of God, for your life to be a showcase of God's character. We exist to be beacons of His light, shining with His beauty so that others might see Him too. That is why you exist. So consider this. Glorifying God through love that leads to obedience, is not a purely vertical experience. It expresses itself horizontally as well. Kids, if you don't know vertical and horizontal, vertical is up and down, and horizontal is side to side. So already last week, we talked about how a life that glorifies God, other people see it. It has a horizontal effect. It impacts the people around us. Maybe they'll see something in us that's strange. We went to Taco Bell two weeks ago. And um, we, uh, Taco Bell's great. What do you make of that face? The double-decker taco classic. Regardless, they gave us an extra taco. Uh, or, or I thought there was something missing from our bag and I went up to the register and said, hey, one of our tacos was missing. I need another taco. So they make us another taco. I sit down, I eat my taco. And then JJ at the other side of the table goes, hey, there's an extra taco here. We had the taco after all. And I thought, oh, man. And so I told Meg, I said, hmm, I probably should pay for this taco. So I went, and they use a little screen, and I paid, paid for my taco. And then I went and told the guy in the back, said, hey, you're going to get an order for a taco. Don't make it. That's the one you already made. I don't want to steal a taco from you. He goes, what? You paid for it? <laughs> I said, yes, I ate it. And he goes, You didn't have to. That's that's cool. And afterwards I was thinking, why is that weird that someone pay for the thing that they consumed? He saw something strange, right? So people might see something in us that's weird, right? It's something of God. A life of, of loving, obeying, and glorifying God does have an impact on others. But here's another horizontal effect that we're talking about. You cannot love God and not love his church. You can't. Now, in 2024, that might sound like an audacious claim because there's no shortage of people who will tell you that they believe in Jesus, but they don't have any use for the church. They love Jesus, but not Christians. Think about it this way. The church is the bride of Christ. If you love me, you're going to love my wife same principle applies to jesus kids what's the catechism question how can you glorify god right by loving god and doing what he commands let's see what jesus commands us in this text chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving Jesus means loving other Christians. It means loving the church. How does verse 34 begin? Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. What's so new about this command? I mean, love one another. That doesn't sound that new. Well, that's not the new part. You go back in the Old Testament law, it even tells you to treat other followers of Yahweh in a special way, to love them in a way that is qualitatively different from how you love unbelievers. Now, that alone might sound offensive, that you should love Christians qualitatively differently and even better than you love unbelievers. That might sound offensive, but it's like family. You treat the church like family. So what's new about this command, if all that stuff we see it in the Old Testament? Here's what's new. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus commands Christians to love one another as he loves them. That's what's new. And how does Jesus love his bride? He loves her with grace. It means he loves us when we don't deserve it. And what is the means by which he loves? Sacrifice, even to the point of death. What Jesus' command shows us here is that glorifying God is not just a personal affair. You're not invited just to to think of God all the time and to speak of God all the time and pay for tacos. (laughs) There's something deeper. It's not just about you and God. It's also about his church. He loves his church. The Father sent the Son, and the Son laid his life down for the church. So if you love God, and if you trust God, if you obey God, you'll love what he loves, the church. With all its brokenness and all its flaws, you'll extend grace to her. And when we love one another as Jesus loves us, It glorifies God the Father and God the Son. If you weren't here last week, John 13 through 17 are one long narrative. We're we're going over this huge chunk of Scripture between now and Easter. Um, This is kind of the last conversation conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before he is betrayed, before he dies. Um, And Judas, at some point in the story, leaves the room and so where i'm about to read judas has just gotten up and walked out we'll be looking at that text in a couple of weeks but look in verse 31 jesus then speaks to the 11 who are remaining in the room verse 31 in chapter 13 when he that is judas had gone out jesus said now is the son of man glorified and god is glorified in him If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. How many times can he use the word glory or glorify in two verses? What is he talking about here? He's talking about the mutual glorification of the Father and the Son. God the Father wants the the glory of God the Son to shine, and God the Son wants the glory of God the Father to shine. And Jesus says, now... I am glorified. Now is the Father glorified as Judas goes to betray him. It might seem like Judas's betrayal was a low point in Jesus' ministry, as though there was even some that Jesus couldn't reach. No, 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 no. This was all part of God's plan. Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, tried, mocked, beaten, crucified, and killed, and what looks like defeat, Jesus describes as glory. The death of Jesus would glorify Jesus and his Father. How? Because Jesus' obedience to death on a cross was an act of love. It was an act of love for his Father. And it was an act of love for the people whom the Father loved. So Jesus laid his life down for the people whom he loved in the supreme act of humiliation, scorn, and death. When it seems like evil has won the day, in that moment the character of god the father and god the son are most clearly on display if someone was to ask you what's god like i can't know god god's invisible he's incomprehensible all these things we talked about in sunday school this morning what how do you know what god the father is like look at the cross because in the giving of the son we see the love of the father How does the Father love us? He loves us to the point of ultimate sacrifice. Jesus' sacrificial love was the Father's sacrificial love. If you want to know God the Father, look at Jesus. And in him, you see the Father. But when you, Christian, when you embody that same love, the love of the Son for the church, When you love other Christians with that same self-sacrificial love, what happens? You become a participant and a partaker in that divine love. Our love is Christ's love, is the Father's love, and that glorifies God. So yes... We glorify God through these vertical acts of praise and prayer and obedience, but when we give of ourselves sacrificially for our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're willing to lay down even our lives for the ones whom Christ loves, that glorifies God as well. You are on this earth to glorify God, and you can't do that without loving the church. You can't do it without loving the church. Now, I, I've said that word church a bunch of times. I'm using it very intentionally. You know, I don't mean the building or the institution. I mean the people. But I'm using the word church so that you and I, me too, can't self-select which Christians to love. You probably, some, you probably find some Christians easier to love than others. And I want to disallow you from making that distinction if I had said in this point instead, if, if I had said, you're on this earth to glorify God, and you can't do that without loving other Christians, then it'd be easy to say, okay, well, I've got a handful of Christians that I love, moving on. Or I, I, I love the people in my Bible study. Uh, I love the people at FPC. That's not what Jesus says. Look again, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is an inclusive statement. All disciples of Jesus, we are to love as Christ has loved us. One essential for a life of glorifying God is loving all who call on the name of Jesus. So if another person has been baptized in a Trinitarian church in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're your family. If another person professes faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're your family, believers and their children. This is the people of God whom you have been called to love as Christ loves them. I'm not going to pretend like that isn't hard. That's why at the end of this conversation in chapter 17, Jesus prays about this. And he doesn't just pray for the 11 disciples. He prays for you and me that we would be able to live out this command. So jump to the end of the section, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. This is Jesus kind of closing out this long conversation with his disciples. They've had dinner, they've gone on a walk, and now he's praying. Verse 20, he says... I do not ask for these only, these 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. This is what Jesus prayed for you the night before he died. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The loving unity of the church is something that Jesus prayed not only because he loves us. He prayed it because of his love for the lost. He prayed for our unity and love so that the world would believe that the Father sent Jesus. The unity and love shared between Christians is intended to be a proof of the validity of the gospel message. Of course, today the church is fragmented in many ways. She's got lots of problems. But that's not new. In the 1800s, Samuel Stone wrote a wonderful hymn, The Church is One Foundation. We're going to sing it later. This verse is appropriate. He says, Though with a scornful wonder men see her, the church, sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, How long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. I'm not blind. I'm not foolish. I know that in some corners of the church, the people who profess Christ, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that in some corners of the church, the truth of God has been so clouded over and confused, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not, That we look at them from afar and say, do they know Christ? Are they a part of the church? It's hard. At other times, we have drawn sometimes unnecessary lines where we will not associate with brothers and sisters for whom Christ has died. Paul tells us the wall of hostility has been torn down between them and us, and yet we erect our own. Maybe this is more than all the others, but how often we adopt barriers and party lines drawn by the world and its systems, and we fit those over ourselves. So that we won't associate with another Christian because the world says we shouldn't associate with one another. The church does have problems. But if another human being professes that Jesus is their Lord, if they believe that he is the resurrected divine king who died for their sins, if it is their desire to walk as a disciple of Jesus, they're in the family regardless of the things they're wrong about. That's true about us too. We got to be wrong about something. What did Paul say? In 1 Corinthians 12, he said this, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These people, these are the ones that we're called to love. These are the ones for whom Jesus died. And they're not all Presbyterian, they're not all Protestant, they're not all English speakers, they're not all Americans we're called to love them because they're our family. Let me give you the full spectrum. We are commanded to love the Christ followers in our homes. These are in an intentional order. We're commanded to love the Christ followers in our homes and in our local church. Let's fill those in. We're also commanded to love the Christ followers in our broader local and regional community and wherever else. They may be. So, of course, people live in your house, covenant family, of course, you're called to love them. The people of FPC with whom you have uh, made a commitment as a member of this church, of course, you're to love them. There's no surprise there. And we're going to talk about that at length here in a moment. Let's talk about these other two real quick the broader local and regional community and wherever else Christians may be. This thinking of Jesus was our impulse behind a lot of our local partnerships. Awaken North Shore. Many of you have heard about Awaken North Shore. That was born out of a desire to connect with like-minded, gospel-centered churches in St. Tammany Parish who wanted to reach the lost together. If we can agree across the table and across theological lines that we want to get the gospel to the lost, there's a lot we can disagree on. So last Wednesday, we had a prayer meeting in here. And I met with a, A Methodist, a Baptist, an evangelical free, a non-denominational, and another Southern Baptist pastor. What did we do? We prayed for lost people. We prayed for you guys. We prayed for the people in our churches that we would weep for the lost, that we would love those who don't know Jesus, that we would aim to reach the lost. So this thinking is what led us to be a part of that. This is also what makes our session open to the idea of Celebration Church, renting our space on Saturday nights. This is something we're talking to them about. They're not a Presbyterian church, but they love Jesus. They love the lost, and they need a building to meet in. So we're open to talking to them about that. This is even why we're open to talking to Chesterton Academy as our tenants. Our thinking is rooted in the belief that we serve the same God as them, the same triune God, we share the same faith in Jesus as Lord. And in some ways, we have the same end goals in mind. And they're Roman Catholics, right? So any church, now, now would I let any church meet in here? Would we let any group meet in here? No, we do have a, a line. Would we let any school meet in here? No, we have some lines that we wouldn't be willing to cross. But Jesus gives us a pretty broad berth within which to operate. But our focus at FPC is not on St. Tammany only. We're called to love the Christians of the world. This is why we partner with missionaries around the world, providing the work of the church wherever she is. And a lot of these missionaries we support, they come out of the EPC, but they partner with ministries there on the ground that are not EPC. We are big-picture kingdom-of-God people, even though we are reformed in our conviction. But let's come closer to home. These same ideas, this teaching of Jesus, is why we take these relationships in this room deadly, crazy, seriously. Jesus has said in no unclear terms that we are to love one another as he loves us and that it's central to our reason for existing. You are on this earth to glorify God and you can't do that, Christian, without loving the other people in this room. You're not here on earth just to pass the time. No, you're here to love these people as Jesus loves them. And what does that look like? Whether we're talking about Christ followers in our homes, in our local church, in our region, or beyond. Well, first, to love one another like Jesus means this, concerning ourselves with one another's relationship to God. I mean, that's why Jesus came to earth. To reconcile us to God. He loved us in that way and we should care about the same for each other. So our highest desire for one another, as I look at you, my highest desire for you is that you would trust Jesus and love God. And that should be our desire for one another. Do we desire that for the lost as well? Yes, of course. But when it comes to someone who's already a part of the church, we have all the more freedom to pursue that. When you join FPC, you make a commitment to one another's relationship to God. We had new members join us just a few weeks ago. EJ, Monica, Andrew, and Lauren. They got up here and they responded to some questions. Y'all remember the questions they agreed to? Here's one of them. I asked them, do you promise to serve Christ in his church by supporting and participating with this congregation in its service of God and its ministry to others to the best of your ability? And they all said, yes. What's our ministry? What is the one that you have agreed not only to support but also to participate in? Our ministry is the gospel. We are committed to helping each other, in addition to the world, to believe Jesus, to love Jesus, to pursue Jesus. If we're not doing that, can we really say we're disciples of Jesus? But there's another question that they committed to that I want to point out. They said... I asked them: do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and to the spiritual oversight of this church session? And do you promise to promote the unity, purity, and peace of the church? When you join FPC, you're committing to a shared gospel ministry, but that ministry aims to bring about unity, purity, and peace. So we're not only concerned about each other's relationship with God, We're also concerned about our relationships with other people. And that's what loving each other like Jesus means. It also means concerning ourselves with one another's relationships with people. Of course, Jesus wants us to be restored to God. But we have seen in this text manifestly that he also cares about our relationships with each other. We're called to care about the same thing. Here's brass tacks. Jesus cares about your marriage. And we should care about one another's marriages. Jesus cares about your relationship with your kids. So we should care about one another's relationships with our kids. Jesus cares about our friendships, our work relationships, our relationships with other Christians, our relationships with non-Christians. And so we should be caring about one another's relationships. You're on earth to glorify God, and you can't do that without loving the other people in this room toward this ends. To love one another in the way that Jesus loves us is intrusive on every level. He commands us to be aware and involved in the most intimate details of one another's lives. But to do what? To be nosy? No. It's to love one another like Jesus... And that means being present. It means speaking the truth. It means making personal sacrifices for one another's relationships listed above. I mean, isn't that a a decent summary of what Jesus did for us? What did he do? He made himself available. He came to earth. Then he preached the truth to us and he did whatever he could, even to the point of death on a cross, to restore us to God and to each other. You're called to do the same. But you can't speak the truth to somebody. You can't sacrifice for their deep needs if you don't know them. If you don't know what their needs are, if you don't know the truth that they need to hear, it all begins with presence. These kinds of relationships take intentional commitment to spend time cultivating friendship. This is why we do potlucks. I love y'all's food. Really, I do. But that's not the point. The relationships are the point. This is why we do men's night this coming Wednesday. This is why we have women's brunch this coming Saturday. This is why we have men's lunch, which is kind of retired men's lunch, but, you know, it's branded however it is. We have men's lunch and 60-plus fellowship group. We have all these opportunities. We're trying to start quarterly social events for the whole congregation later this year. Why? We know you're busy. We're not trying to fill up your calendar. We're all busy. We're trying to carve out a little bit of time for us to know each other. But you have to take advantage of these opportunities. If you never come to any of these things, don't be surprised. When no one speaks truth to you or knows you or you don't know them, like we're trying to create space for this. But even then, an occasional church event, that can't bear the whole burden of this. You've got to go a step further. Here's what I'm inviting you to do. Every one of us should take stock of whether we're engaging well with the Christians that God has put in our lives. Why? Because this is why we're here. We're on this earth to glorify God, and you can't do that without loving the other people in this room. So how do you need to treat these people and these relationships as more valuable? Do you need to take advantage of some of these social opportunities that we have as a church? Or maybe you need to branch out on your own. You know, you can invite somebody over to dinner. You can go out to coffee. You could, now this kills two birds and one stone, you could go to one of our Bible studies. And there you get to know God and you get to know each other well too. We got our women's Bible study on Wednesday morning. Check yourself. How well are you engaging with the other people in this room, these people to whom God has clearly called you? Jesus told us, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. As the world sees our love for each other, they'll see the love of Christ and the love of the Father in us. And thereby, God will be glorified in our lives as they become a showcase for his character. And here's a beautiful thing. You guys are actually pretty, pretty good at this already. People do see the love of God in you. When Frank Fury was in the hospital, you guys were there every day praying for this guy, sitting with Lynn. You know how I know? It wasn't because I was there the whole time. No, it was because Frank's family told me, we love your church. And we love how much you have loved our mom and dad. When little Winnie Mertens was born a few weeks ago, almost a month ago, huh? I was texting with Nicole's mom. She said, I'm so glad my daughter has this church because y'all have loved her so well. My mom (laughs) is always bragging on you guys about how FPC has taken such good care of my family through the years. Justin and I, we were having breakfast. What was that, Wednesday? And he said, when we first walked in at FPC, Rich and Rachel Cropper grabbed us and told us, welcomed us. Asked, us, uh, asked about our lives, and then uh, Ian and Mary Francis talked to us and welcomed us and invited us over to dinner at their house. And he said, I still hang out with those people. I've been so loved. He said, I've never been to a church that was so eager to bring me in and make me a part of their family. So you guys actually, y'all are pretty good at this. But let's not keep it too much on the surface. Let us press into that. If we're good at it, let's lean into it to really care for one another's relationships with God and with others. This is an invitation. If you're on the margins of FPC, been kind of coming and attending, but kind of unknown, disengaged, I want to invite you to take a risk. The risk of intimacy and connection and love. Engage with us. Pick one of these ways that I've talked about. It's real easy, only half of us bite. Thank you. Our hope is that as we love each other that our neighbors would see something in us the love of Jesus for his church. Do you know how many people in St. Tammany Parish desperately want to be loved? They want to be a part of a family where they're cared for and where grace is extended where there's forgiveness and there's hope. That's FPC. It's also a lot of other great churches in town. But this church, I'm really proud of you guys. Y'all are the kind of family that every person deserves. And there are so many people out here that want that. And they've never experienced it. Because it's the love of Jesus for his church. Would that we would love each other in such a way that this good news would just bleed out of this place. Let me close one more time by reading... The words of our Lord, 13, 34, and 35. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these folks. Uh, Thank you for their love to me, my family. Thank you for their love to each other. Lord, there are so many people in our community, probably within yards from this building, that desperately want to be loved. They want to know the love that you have shown. Lord, may we be so united in love and care for each other that they would see it, that they would see the glory of God in us and through us, so that they too would seek that love for themselves. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never experienced your grace in that way, perhaps they're, they're, they're nervous to, to dive into this wonderful, strange church on Bootlegger Road. Lord, give them the courage to take that risk. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.